tonight. Uh, the Lord changed their song. He's changed my message as well. I go a little bit a different of a direction that I originally planned tonight, but try to follow along the lines as the Lord's dealt with my heart over the last few days as we close out the new year, uh, the old year, and ring in the new year here in just a few hours. Years ago, we always had watch night service and all those kind of things, and and uh, then that led to Jubilee and that to camp meeting and so on and so forth. I don't know, uh, there's probably some in the area. I haven't heard any advertised, uh, but uh, those are good meetings to get in. We'd come to church if it was on Sunday night and, and uh, have church and then regular service and other folk would come in. We'd have uh, supper and all those kind of things, just great times together. And um, I miss some of those days. I really do. <clears throat> And I, I, I long for the day that we can find time to do all the things that we used to do. It seems like we're so busy this day and hour, we can't get half done what we need to do. And uh, we're looking forward to a little later in the year bringing on a little bit more staff. And hopefully that'll uh, free us up a little bit, get some other things done that we really need to be doing. And so I hope you're praying about that. Uh, Brother Chris will be coming on staff uh, this summer. And I was thinking about it when I was working on this message about all the things that we need to do. And I thought about if we don't get to hire Chris, he's going to sigh. If we, don't have, if we don't get to hire Chris, Daniel's going to cry. And if we don't get to hire Chris, I'm just going to die. I'm just going to die. So sigh, cry, and die. And uh, it'll all be done for me, that's for sure. But here we are in Revelation chapter number 3. I want to share with you a few things out of these verses about the church at Philadelphia. And I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord for allowing me to be in the ministry all of these years. And, you know, I've learned, one of the things I get often asked, does it get any easier to prepare messages and all? It doesn't for me. I think it's a little bit harder for me now than it was in the early years. And, um, you know, you have to, I think I have to study longer and more intently than I did to perhaps when I was in my 30s, and, um, and so it's a little bit more difficult, and, and uh, you know, things don't come as easily as you, as you get older, and I, begin, I realized today, I realized today that, that my messages aren't what they should be, and when somebody, Jamie Southall, bought me a Bible study book, and it's as big as a family Bible, and so I'm thinking, Man, my message is, no, I'm just kidding. I'm picking at Jamie back there. But I appreciate that, Jamie. I appreciate the book. And I, I'm, I, don't, I take it as a compliment, not an insult. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, um, but we can all do better, can't we? We sure can. Let's look in Revelation chapter number 3. And we'll look at verses 7 down through verse number 13. I believe this is the sixth of the seven churches that John is addressing and uh, in uh, the book of Revelation, those seven churches, real, actual churches in Asia Minor. And uh, he's dealt with Sardis and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Ephesus and all those others. And then at the closing of chapter number three, in the middle of chapter number three, he deals with the church at Philadelphia and then he closes out with the last church age, scholars believe, to be the, the, the uh, Laodicean church age. And that simply means that it is a lay-led church, that the people lead the church. And uh, we're living in that time in, in most arenas. You'll see that to be true. Churches today are, are people-led. 
people led. And God wants the church to be led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, you can say amen or oh me or whatever the case may be. But we see that in so many churches today. There's such a power struggle, you know, to, to do things one way or the other way. And, and at the, con, uh, the conclusion of my message, if I could give you the summary of it before we even get started, I, I think that our, our goal, our aims, our ambitions, and anything that we can make out of 2024 should be that we, that, uh, where I finished up this morning, about winning souls to Christ. If every member of Victory Baptist Church would set in their heart, beginning up here in the pulpit and uh, making its way, infiltrating all the pews all the way up into the balcony, and uh, a lot of our people aren't here tonight, but uh, if, if they're watching or listening on wherever they are, if every single one of us could begin praying tonight, Lord, help me to win a sinner to the Lord in this year. Can you, can you imagine what that would create in this place? I talked about our works and I talked about our worship and all those things this morning. But if, every, if that were to happen, if every one of us and the ones that aren't here and all of our membership, if we won but one person to the Lord this year, we wouldn't be talking about putting in new carpet, new pews. We'd be talking about knocking walls out around here. Are you listening? And so it's all about... It's all about souls, and it should be. And uh, that's the way Christ started the church with the Great Commission, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, it seemed like we get so bogged down with all of the other things that we don't do a real good job at that. And, um, and, and uh, that's kind of where we are this day and hour. Well, let's put that aside and look now. And uh, we're looking in verses 7 through 13. And the angel of the, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy and he that is true and he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man can shutteth and shutteth and no man can openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it and for thou, hast, uh, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and to worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take away thy crown. Him that overcometh, I will make a, a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I want to look for a few moments tonight, and I'll try to move along quickly. I want to, the title of our message, you'll see it come up on the screen, The Church with a Promise, a Purpose, and a Plan. The Church with a Promise, a Purpose, and a Plan. I think that these three thoughts kind of 
reigned true for just about every situation in life. I think that would hold true when it comes to the family. A family needs to have a purpose, a promise, a purpose, and a plan. It would be so in our business or some kind of business that you, that you may be in. And so it's something that, that we could give a little of attention to tonight and, and, uh, and, and think about what God is saying to this faithful church. He, this is the church that he doesn't have to chide with. He encourages them to hold on to what they have. And, um, and so we see that. We see that uh, in the passage of Scripture. Now, the word Philadelphia, I'm talking about the church at Philadelphia, it means brotherly love. But my, may I say unto you tonight that love itself is not the only thing that God uses to accomplish His purpose. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It all kind of hovers around love. All the other wonderful characteristics of God as far as men are concerned and the world is concerned it, uh, it's about love. But there's th some things about God that are mentioned to us in this chapter that uh, brings all of the other things that they might come to pass. I want you to think about a few things this, this evening that a church must have. <laughs> now, if you're a financial person, you're going to say, well, a church got to have money. Ain't no doubt about that. I never argue that point with you. Now, the gospel is free, but you've got to pump the water out of the ground, you see. And so there's cost and there's expense involved in operating a ministry, a ministry this size. When I came here in August of 1980, our entire church budget was $30,000 a year. That was everything. That was the church, that was tithing, that was offerings, that was missions, that was everything, absolutely everything. Today, it is well more than 10 times that, well more than 10 times. Uh, I think last year as I was looking through the finance reports yesterday, I'll give you some updates before very long, that through tithes and offerings, uh, somewhere almost $400,000 came in through this little congregation, through this little church in South Georgia last year. About $114,000 went out to worldwide missions. And that's almost unbelievable, unbelievable. But it takes it. It takes it. Just in the month of December, our insurance went up $5,000 a year just on one policy. You know what it costs to live, and I'm not here to talk about that tonight, but we do understand that principle. We do understand that concept in the Bible. I had a man to tell me many, many years ago, I was in the barber shop, and he said, if I could find a discount church, I'd go join it. And I said, what in the world? I don't usually speak up in the barbershop. I really don't. And um, it's politics and, and all those kind of things all the time. And, uh, and I hear enough of that on the news and everywhere else. So when I go to the barbershop, I just go to get my hair cut. And uh, I don't get it done. I don't get any. I get my hair cut in a barbershop. And so when I was in there, and he, he said, if I could find, and I said, I did speak up. And I said, sir, what do you mean by a discount church? He said, well, I can't afford to tithe 10%, but I think I can handle 5%. <laughs> And, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the way people think sometimes. But uh, uh, aside from that, there's some things a church must have. 
They must have. We must, you must have a good music program. You've got to have a good missions program. And you've got to have a youth program this day and hour. And a program for senior citizens. And you've got to have so many things, so many things this day and hour. But here's nine things a church cannot function without. We, you might can operate, but you'll not function in the power of God if you don't have these nine things. And they're given to us in this passage of Scripture, and I'm never going to get through with this night. Number one, we, a church must have love. We're looking in verse number seven now. When he mentions, he said, unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, brotherly love. Brotherly love. That love expands. It's not just brotherly love, but it's also love for the lost sinner. You know, this, uh, this day and hour that we live in, uh, there's, a, there's, a lots of, there's a lots of unlovely people in the world today. And uh, you may not have noticed that, but, but there's a lot of people in the world that hate the Christian movement in America today and in the world in, in a greater sense. And there's people, by the way, there's people that don't like you because of what you believe. There are people that don't like Jesus because of who he was. And there are people who do not like the church because of what it is. And, and there, but here's what we got to do. We got to love them anyway. Are you listening? There's a, a lot of unseemly things that are going on in our land. There's a lot of abomination. There's a lot of idolatry. There's evil on every hand. There's wickedness. There's abhorrence. There's perversion. There's disgust. And I used to say years ago that men are going to the dogs, but in respect of the dogs, I don't even say that anymore. A lot of things. A lot of things that we see that turn our stomach. And I, wanna, and I said all that. I'm not preaching about that tonight. I'm not preaching about that at all. We still got to love them. We got to love sinners. If a church doesn't love sinners, how are they going to make an impact on the world? For what reason are we here if we can't love sinners the way they if God loves them, we ought to love them. Mm. You say, well, I don't like what they're doing. Uh, that's beside the point. I, I don't like what's going on. That's beside the point. If God has shown you his love, then you've got to love sinners. You've got to love sinners. No matter who they are, where they are, what they've done, or how they live and how they act, we must Love the sinner. And, and, and it's kind of a worn out term, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. But at the root of everything, that's, that's the real, that's reality. You've got to love sinners. Number two, you must have holiness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm reading it right from the Word of God. If Jesus is present, there's going to be love. And if Jesus hangs around, there's going to be some holiness of God. I, when I'm talking about holiness, I'm not, I'm not talking about long sleeves and, and worn out shoes and your hair in a bun and all those kind of things. I'm and by the way, not anything wrong with that. And uh, some would do better to be a little bit more modest. But I'm saying tonight, I'm just very simply saying this, that there must be a realm of holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
holiness in the house of God. The church, and you're going to see the point in this in just a moment, if you'll bear with me. If you've already turned me off, well, turn me back on in about five minutes, all right? I'm <laughs> like the radio. And uh, things of church must have, number one, they must have love. According to this passage, they must have holiness. What about this one? You've got to have truth. These things saith he that is holy and he that is true. He that is holy and he that is true. There must be truth. We still must, we got, we got to speak the truth and speak the truth in love. I, I, I don't like to come across that I'm mean or I don't want to appear to be angry. I, I think that we think we ought to be angry with sin and, and, and you know, and, and, and I think that sin needs to be named and identified and, and drunkenness and, and all the things, you know. I, I think that, you know, we don't just need to throw a blanket on there and say, you know, there's sin in the world. We need identify, we need to point it out and all those kind of things. You must have the truth. You, you can't help somebody if you don't tell them the truth. Your doctor can't help you if he doesn't tell you the truth. Your attorney cannot help you if he doesn't tell you the truth. Your mechanic can't help you if he doesn't tell you the truth. And your preacher can't help you if he doesn't tell you the truth. It is all about truth. There's no, there, there, there's no realm uh, in this thing of truth to even put one little tiny dot of untruth. And so it's important that we have the truth. And I believe that we have it right here in this King James Bible that we have before us tonight. You've got to have truth. Here's something else. You've got to have power. He mentions that and he says about this, this door that nobody can open and nobody can shut it. And, and, uh, and he talks about our strength a little bit later. And so you've you got to have the love of God. You've got to have the holiness of God. You've got to have the truth of God. And you've got to have the power of God. We can't get it done. I've tried my best over, not my best, but I put a pretty good effort in it for the last 48 years. If the Lord lets me live the next Sunday, I, I've thrown everything I have at it. I've given it my life and my sweat and my blood and my money. We put our money in uh, tonight uh, for the building program next year. and I've, 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 I've given again and again and I've worked and I've labored and it's been long nights and, and short days and, and on and on and on as you have. I tell you, we can't do it without the power of God. And I think a lot of times we're running on our own strength. I find myself doing that. I, I was about to say a minute ago, I don't want to come across as a mean person. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's some people can't even make announcements without being mean. I mean, they, and there was a day and hour that was kind of, of the way things were. Back when I was coming up and, and, uh, and you know, it was, it was um, I know it's a different time and hour than, than it uh, 50 years ago, and uh, but but I, I I've I've seen some preachers, some evangelists. They were just mad. They were mad all the time. I, I don't want to appear mad. I want to I want to be a pleasant person, and and you know I want my personality. To, I don't have the best one in the world, and I don't have that cordial look all the time. And I try to be uh, I try to show hospitality and, and do all those kind of things. But the but at the bottom line, we just need the power of God. We don't need anybody that's pretty. We don't need anybody with a personality. We don't need anybody that performs. We just need somebody with the power of God 
And when I'm gone from here, be sure you get one of those next time, all right? The power of God. Got to have works. Got to have works. Number five, in verse number eight, he said, I know thy works. You couldn't make this up if you tried. You can't go wrong just preaching it line by line, precept by precept, and verse by verse. They can disagree, but, but uh, they can't prove you wrong if you just go verse by verse. And uh, here it is. And so a church must have the love of God. A church must have the holiness of God. A church must have the truth of God. A church must have the power of God. And the church must have works. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. We are created His workmanship. Faith works. If we have faith, faith works. There'll be works in our life if we have faith, if we believe. Here's another one. Verse number six. You can't get by without us. Uh, uh, number six. Uh, verse number eight. We have the Word of God. We must have the word of God in verse number 8. He said, I've set thee before the door. And he goes on and he said that you've got a little bit of strength. And he says, but you've kept my word. And so now we've got to have the love of God. We've got to have the holiness of God, the truth of God, the power of God, the works, the word of God. And then here's a big one. You've got to have patience. Now don't start praying for it. All right? I think Brother Montgomery mentioned that in Sunday school this morning. Such a great Sunday school message. This morning, I don't know where he had time to get it together. He and I, we were we were gone almost all day yesterday to the old uh, uh, Thunderbolt Racetrack reunion, where we were both kind of raised up at, and just had a good time with old friends and all there. They had a cane grinding and all that kind of stuff. I got some cane syrup at the house, and uh, and uh, but he had a tremendous message in Sunday school this morning. Tremendous message. You got to have patience. You got to be patient. Rome wasn't built in a day. Go put that on the sign somebody. That's a good one, isn't it? Go put that on the marquee out front. Rome wasn't built in a day. I have young preachers come to me oftentimes or call me or text me or email me or pull me aside in a meeting. Preacher, you know, and, and, and we're, you know, we're, have the biggest and the largest and all those kind of things. We don't, you know, we're not anything to, you know, except who God wants us to be. And that's, that's, a, that's where we try to get to. Just be where God wants us to be. I saw somebody put something yesterday. They said, if I please God, it doesn't matter whether I please you or not. Oh, that attitude can be a little uh, uh, shaky, but, but, um, I, but we're who we are by the glory of God. We're not we're not trying to be anybody else. We're not trying to be Corinth, and we're not trying to be Grace, and we're not trying to be Benevolence. We're just trying to be who we are. And uh, we're, we're not in competition. We're here to complement one another. And I pray for those churches, and I pray for Lock Laurel, and, and I pray for Redland, and I pray, I pray for uh, other churches in our community. There's no competition out here, but people ask me, uh, how did you get to where you are if, as though we're somewhere? We got, we, we're, there's so much more we need to do. More, more in 2004 from this morning. It takes time, doesn't it? Hey, do you want to have, would you like to have 25 in your Sunday school class? Don't raise your hand, okay? Would you like to have 25 people in your Sunday school class 
Here, here's, here's, I like what Brother Allen used to do when somebody, like, they said, I'd like to have a Sunday school class. He never gave any, I think one or two people got a Sunday school class. Everybody else just got a room. Just got an empty room. Matter of fact, the first Sunday school class I taught was in the back of a green international school bus. In the back three or four seats. But do you want to have 25 in your Sunday school class? Help yourself. Go right ahead. Ain't nothing holding you back. But it takes patience, doesn't it? It takes patience. Here's another one. That's verse number 10. There must be patience, and I'm going to have to hurry. I'm not going back to the verses again right now. And so now we have the love of God. We have holiness. We have truth. There must be power. There must be works that are generated in the congregation. We must have the Word of God. We must have patience, and we must overcome adversity. Verse number 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Do you think it's always smooth sailing? Well, it's not. There are tough times along the way. There are, there are rocky places. There are ridges and, cli and cliffs. And, and uh, there's adversity. And, and out there in the dark, there's, there's lions and there's tigers. And, and there's bad things that are, that are going on. And... Um, But you've got to overcome adversity. There's hard times and there's difficult times and there's unpleasant times. But you have to overcome the adversity. If you, by the way, that's not that's not just church business. That's in families. You got to overcome adversity in your family. You've just got to do it. You just have to, sometimes you just have to kind of bow your back and, and take a deep breath. And you have to work your way through the troubles and work your way through the problems and work your way through the trials. Adversity. I can tell you about some. And then finally, the ninth one in verse number 13. We must hear from God. <laughs> You got to hear from the Holy Spirit. He said, if you got ears, I'm, I'm not going to be so elementary as to say, everybody touch your ear now. <laughs> touch your right ear, touch your left. Everybody's got an ear, touch your ear. No. But he said, if you got an ear, you better hear. It's one thing to hear what the preacher's got to say, it's something else to hear what God has to say. Reuben Fields, he was a great preacher. We carried, he, in his uh, latter days, we were able to go listen, go hear him preach one time, a long, long time ago. And uh, he told the story about when he was a little boy, he would, he was talking about how, you know, how important it is to hear, hear God and to hear God's voice and to know God's voice. And he said, I was a little boy. He said, I was out in, out in the field playing and and uh, he said, Mama came to the back porch, or my sister. He said, my, my baby sister came to the back porch, and she, she hollered out, Hey, Jake, 
it's time for supper. You better come on in. He said, I just kept on playing. He said, I just kept on playing. He said, a few minutes later, my older sister called her by her name. She stepped to the back door and she said, Hey, Jake, it's time for supper. You better come on and get ready to eat. And he said that happened with two or three of his brothers and sisters. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard the words say, Jake, this is mama. You better come on and get ready for supper. He said, I jumped up and I brushed myself off and he, I ran to the house just as fast as I could and I flew through the screen door and I ran into the bathroom and washed my face and washed. There's a difference. You say, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Ain't no preacher going to tell me what to do. I ain't going to listen to anybody. It's your choice. But I tell you, there's one voice that when you hear him, you better listen. You better listen to what he has to say. You better hear what he has to say. Nine things. Verses 7 and 8, here's the conclusion of it, and I'll be done. We have a promise of an open door. <laughs> but the economy's bad and you know and 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 things are expensive and and you know and and leadership and, and the government and you know what's going on and and all of these things aside from all that, here's what here's what our Savior had said that I've given you an open door. I, I literally, he has endorsed, he has signed the check it on the back. He signed the check and he said, Go for it. Go for it. Mm. I've come up with some crazy things through the course of the years. And, and, uh, buying buses and building buildings and, taking on projects and all those guys. I've come up with some, what I really thought was crazy things looking back. But then when I began to realize that if it's God's will, he's already, he's already said, it's yours. Now, I'm not, I'm not name it, claim it. I'm not talking about frivolous things and, and crazy things and, and, you know, you know, picking riches off of trees and all that. But I do know this, he said, he said in another place, he said, that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The church has got to believe that. Got to believe that. We'll pray in a minute, Okay. We have a promise of an open door. Every Bible-believing, Bible-practicing, Bible-teaching church has that promise. Every missionary church, the, the uh, church at Philadelphia was known for their generosity like others throughout the Scripture. Macedonia, they were known for their generous giving to the work of the Lord. And here's the reason why. 
we have a promise of an open door. Number two, I only have three. We have a purpose in the world today. You, you wouldn't think so. You, you wouldn't think that there's, that the church, I mean, there was a day, an hour, less than uh, only one generation ago, just one generation ago, there, was, there, were, there were churches that had so much of the power of God, they were able to change legislation. They were able to, there was a time that, that in, in many areas, that liquor by the drink and all those kind of things, that they were, always, they would, they were voted down um, by the churches. Happened here 30 years ago. We fought against it. Morningside, others fought all against it when they were talking about the liquor by the drink and then alcohol sales on Sunday and all those kind of things. And you know who voted it in? Churches voted it in. How times have changed. When that vote finally came, there were 2,000 votes that brought all that into our area. And on any given Sunday, there were 5,000 people in church. You see how times have changed. But we have an open door, and we have a purpose in the world today. And I think that's part of it. I think the church, the sad thing is, in this day and hour, the church as a whole doesn't have a spiritual voice in high places. We lost so many of them. We lost people like Billy Graham and James Kennedy and... Uh, and uh, others through the course of the years, and back in the old days, the uh, Oliver Greens, and, and the list just goes on and on and on about men who had, they had a, a national voice. Men who were able to go in and sit down and talk with presidents and congressmen and, and leaders and make, enact changes in our world. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that anymore. All we have today is a bunch of, entertainment and, 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 and pleasurizing and, and, and just so many things that are discombobulated. I use that word this morning. I like, I'm, I'm bringing that back into my vocabulary. We have a promise of an open door. We have a purpose in the world today. So what is our purpose? I wrote down several things. I'll just read them to you. In conjunction with what we've already said, we have a purpose in the world today. They may not recognize us. You know, the, the largest voting block in America would be believers. Far bigger than all the unions combined. If believers would only go out and vote conviction, just vote principle, there would never be an election where people were put in authority that were not I'm not, I'm not, they, I'm not, they don't have to be Bible-thumping Christians or anything along that line, but just sensible statesmen and women and people who have character and really care about our nation and care about our people and care about our seniors and care about little boys and girls and care about what's going on and, uh, and people living the American dream. The believers in America, by far, in the last two elections, 30 million Christians have stayed home from the polls in America. 30 million. 30 million. That's almost a, a third 
in the in the uh, 2020 election, I guess it was. That's uh, that was that's almost a third of what either candidate got. Either one of them with those 30 million votes, it would have been a landslide in every state. But there are some things we can do. Number one, and I've got to close. We can herald the truth. We can bind the brokenhearted. We can go forth as an army with banners. We can give hope to the hopeless and comfort to one another. We can lift up a standard of righteousness and truth and even peace in the world today. We can sound the trumpet in Zion. We are ambassadors. We are witnesses. We are soldiers of the cross. We are laborers and we are priests. We can pray. We're leaders and we're builders. When they were singing all those songs a while ago, I thought about this one. I can tell the world about this. I can tell the nations I'm blessed. Tell them, (laughs) tell them that Jesus made me whole and he brought joy, joy to my soul. We've got a story to tell. And so we have a purpose in the world. And then in closing, we have a plan to hold fast to what we have. You know, I think that's one of the... At some point in time, church has got to quit giving up what they had 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, a decade ago, the last two years. At some point in time, you just got to stop the bleeding. There's so many things that we have surrendered as the people of God. There's so many things that we have not held on to because of changing times. And we want to we fit. I'm telling you, anytime the church fits in the world, there's something wrong with the church. It's like trying to put a round bottle in a square hole, a round peg in a square hole. I used to do that when I was a little boy. When I first heard preachers say that, I said, that's no problem at all. We used to go around the neighborhood and pick up RC bottles and Coke bottles, and we'd put them in, in a crate of 24, and we'd carry them down to Goble store and, um, and uh, whatever it was before it was Goble store, and, uh, and we'd take them down there and get the deposit back for them. And we put round bottles in square holes again and again and again. Not too hard either. I, I like what he said in the text. Look in, in the, he said, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast. You, you got you to gotta get the, the benefit of the hold that fast. So it's not just trying to hold on to something and, and you know, just trying to cleave into it and, and that, you know, that, it's, that it's slipping away, but to hold it fast, to be steady as she goes, to keep the ship headed in the right direction. It's not talking about losing this and losing that and all those kind of things. In, in a sense, it is. But in the, in the, in the larger sense, it's talking about what he, what he told the church at Sardis. He said these words to the other church. He said, Sardis, Sardis. He said, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. We've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan to hold on to what you have. 
And uh, it's not to hang on or to, to hold on or to try to prop it up, but it's to take time to improve and to build on what you have. And if you take any of those words, the word strengthen, the word fast, if you look at them in the light of the scripture, it, listen, God mentioned in the Old Testament, he talked about those that, that stayed by, they tarried by the stuff. When, um, what was it the battle of the, Amal uh, Am uh, the uh, Amalekites uh, at Ziklag, and they had come in, and they had taken away all the spoils, and David got an army of men together. There were 400 of them that got together in the army, and they went, and they chased them down, and they got all the stuff back. That's what the Bible called it, all the stuff. And he said, in that text, he said that there was an equal reward. 400 men went to battle, 200, peop, 200 men stayed there with the stuff. And God said in certain terms, he said those that went to battle and those that tarried by the stuff, those that stayed and prayed, those that worked and labored, he said they're going to get exactly the same benefits as those that went to war. Somebody's got to stay by the stuff. Somebody's got to hold fast. Somebody's got to say, hey, we don't want to go that way. I know old-time religion is losing its grip in the world today. And it's a sad thing to see it. You see, the plans aren't blueprints and strategies and, um, and ideas and programs and all of those kind of things. For us to be the church God wants us to be, we've got to, we've got to have His strength to improve. I mentioned in, in, in the words that I gave you a few moments ago that we're builders. We're builders. He said, building upon your most holy faith. He never told us to build a church. He said, I'll build a church. He said, you just build on your faith. And he said, I'll build the church. You know more and more about me, and I'll take care of everything else. But we don't get our hands on it. We want to we do it ourselves. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, and I ran a little different with the message than I had intended to, but may we, may we understand the importance of it literally means to retain it, to retain that love, that holiness, that truth, those works, his power, his word, the patience, the overcoming, and hearing the Holy Spirit. It's to, it's to keep that alive, to keep stoking the fire beneath those things and not let it burned down to just a bunch of uh, embers and, and eventually just turn into old black deposits of coal. It's happening to churches all over America, all over the nation. We don't want to lose our way. The church needs to set the standard, not follow Hello. May the Lord bless us to have a good year. Father, we thank you for the day.